0: Hey,
1: keto freaks, here's an update on Keto Fest. We have a date! The weekend of July 15th and 16th, 2017. Keto Fest is a ketogenic festival for everyone, not just doctors and nutritionists. Richard Morris and I, along with a host of keto rock stars, are turning the entire coastal town of New London, Connecticut, ketogenic the entire weekend of July 15th and 16th. Some of the best minds in keto have already said they want to come and speak including Jimmy Moore, Megan Ramos, Ivor Cummins, Dr. Jeff Gerber, Dr. Eric Westman, and Dr. Ted Naaman. We'll have an outdoor food festival with live music, fitness lessons, cooking lessons, walking tours, bike tours, Segway tours, movies on the historic Guard Theater's 60-foot screen, and of course, great talks by our rock stars. We'll be doing a Kickstarter campaign soon to sell tickets. Meantime, go to KetoFest.com and register. KetoFest, real keto for real people.
2: When I started, I was very sick with complications from type 2 diabetes, and within six months of starting a ketogenic diet, all of my biomarkers of disease had disappeared. I've also lost about 80 pounds, and I've completely turned my health around.
1: Absolute coincidence, Richard. (laughs) Well, this show is a document of my progress through nutritional ketosis and Richard's experience thriving for three years in nutritional ketosis.
2: Yeah. And
1: hopefully that might help a few people who are curious about this kind of dietary hacking.
2: Yeah, we're not doctors. We don't want to give anyone any medical advice, but we are keen to share our own experiences. We're actually both software developers, so we're not afraid of a little technical detail, are we, Carl? Nah. We have done some research into our own deranged metabolisms Mm -hmm. and the science behind that. And we hope to share some of that research. Where possible, we intend to put links in the show notes to cite research supporting any claims that we make. And you'll probably work out pretty quickly that we're both foodies. Oh, yeah. We love to cook and we love to
1: eat. In every episode, we both share a keto recipe that cannot be ignored. Oh, no, it cannot. (laughs) (laughs) So let's start podcast number 52, Weight Loss Surgery. Well, Richard, do we have any corrections or apologies from last week?
2: No, I don't think we have any corrections. I tell you, I have knocked last week's episode out of the park. Oh, yeah. I would suggest to people check out his YouTube presentation. He used the audio from our show and then added it in his own slides. Mm-hmm. So do a search on YouTube for adipose in insulin resistance, or just check out our show notes. We'll put a link in the show notes.
1: And speaking of YouTube, yeah, 2 Keto Dudes is now available on YouTube every single episode. You can go to our channel. It's youtube.2keto.com. Nice. Yeah. So let's revisit what a ketogenic diet is. A ketogenic diet is any diet that puts you in a state of nutritional ketosis. Yep. And uh, people have different ways of doing that. But one surefire way is to limit your carbohydrates to just green leafy vegetables, maybe a few nuts. Keep them around 20 grams or less per day. And you want to replace all the carbohydrates in your diet with fat. Yeah. And your protein should pretty much stay the same. It, the amount of protein that you need scales with the amount of lean body mass that you have. Yeah. So there is a pretty much the calculation we go by is we eat one gram to one and a half grams of protein for every kilogram of lean body mass that we have.
2: Yep. The
1: rest comes from fat. All our energy. Yep. Well, uh, Richard, this is going to be a great show, but before we get into it with the ladies, how was your week?
2: Uh, It was actually pretty good. As you know, I've been dealing with this knee injury and it's kept me off the bike. Um, I am going to go out. Uh, once around the lake tomorrow, uh, which will probably be about 20K. Hmm. Um, but it's uh, I, the knee injury has really kept me from exercising. Yeah. I did go to a physio this week and they did something new, which is called dry needling, which is a little bit like uh, it's like a kind of acupuncture. But what they're doing is, because my problem is uh, tendonitis, it's all the quadricep muscles are tight and they're normally supposed to be elastic and and relax as the joint moves. But because they're tight, that puts pressure on the tendon and that's what has caused the inflammation. So what they needed to do was to release the muscle. Uh, So he stuck these needles in and all of a sudden my, my quadriceps started twitching And uh, that was, you know, the the needle hitting the nerve and basically that twitch is the release of the tension in the muscle. Neat. My knees have felt great ever since. Wow. How cool is that? Yeah, it's fascinating. And the other thing that's happened to me this week is uh, I'm continuing on with my uh, low-protein adventure. Mm -hmm. Um, We said at the beginning of the show that uh, we keep our protein between one and one and a half uh, grams per kilogram of lean body mass. Mm-hmm. But for just this month, since uh, January 1st, I have been limiting myself to 0.84 grams of protein per kilogram of lean body mass, Yeah, uh, which, which for me is about 67 grams of protein. So it's really low.
1: So how's that going for you?
2: It's actually going really well. My uh, my glucose is down and my ketones are up, which is a good thing.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
2: and the other thing that's... Important for me is that by going low protein, I'm starting to get protein signals. So I'm starting to get signals that if I'm a little bit below 67, if I'm like say 58 or so, uh, because you can't always guarantee that you're going to get 67 grams of protein in the food that you cook, because you know we can't really calculate these things exactly. Right. Um, so if I'm slightly below. I'll, f- I'll get a real craving for something savory. Hmm. And it could be just like a couple of slices of salami, maybe, maybe three grams of protein is wow. just enough to get me over the limit. And all of a sudden I lose the cravings and, um, I don't, you know, I don't feel hungry at all. So I'm really able to dial in my protein signaling, my protein hunger signaling. Um, And it seems to be around about that 67 to 70 is about my ideal minimum amount of protein.
1: Wow, that's great. And uh, as you've said many times on the show, you're going to do bookend DEXA scans before and after to see your uh, lean body mass and to see if any of it has been lost, right?
2: Yeah, and yeah. also, I'm going to do a blood test at the end of it. And at the beginning, I did a blood test at the beginning um, because I wanted to see what my blood urea nitrogen levels are b- mm-hmm. before and, and, and towards the end to see whether that changes. In theory, if I reduce the amount of protein to the point where I'm in nitrogen balance, that will go down slightly. I'm currently at the top of the physiologic range for that. So I was probably eating too much protein between one and one and a half grams, which I've been doing for the past three years. That may have been too much protein for me and I I may have just been basically throwing the furniture on the bonfire to, to maybe to you know, because it was just excess but anyway yeah. so that's that's uh that's my week uh, how was your week
1: my week was great um as i mentioned before i've been eating during the day and not at night and that works really well for me except when something comes along and i have to have dinner uh, instead of lunch yep. and it's really thrown me mm. i had a um a community keto dinner at my house that i've i've started this on meetup.com basically for local people who are interested in keto stuff that come to my house for dinner, I made the Cuban roast pork. Oh, nice. Let me tell you, it was not fat-sparing at all. <laughs> <laughs> so here I am eating all this fat, right, at uh, at the end of the night. And, um, you know, put on some weight. Uh... So this is interesting to know that just because you're eating keto and you're, you know, fat to satiety, well, if you go over satiety and you eat more after you're already full, you know, you're basically going to wear it. So, yeah, that's what happens. Pretty much. Yeah. And, you know, but I, but the benefit of that is as compared to overeating carbohydrates, it's very easy just to you know go back to doing what works right and uh, as opposed to having cravings and raising your insulin and now you've got to tamp down that beast again so you know it was worth it to me and especially it was worth it to have deborah who was my guest um be introduced to all this delicious food
2: yeah that's awesome
1: so yeah it was great Well, that brings us to our topic today, and uh, we have three esteemed guests, all of whom are moderators or administrators on our forum, www.ketogenicforums.com, and before that, they were administrators in our Facebook group, which is now closed. Uh, So I would like to uh, introduce Dr. Louise Reynolds, Daisy Brackenhall, and Donna Lordy. Hi, Daisy.
3: Hi Carl, hi Richard. Yes, I indeed. I'm British. You
1: British, say. yes. yes. Uh, Louise. Hello.
4: Well, g'day, mates. How <laughs> you going? <laughs>
1: <laughs> Great to have you on.
4: Thank you so much.
1: And Donna Lordy, how are you?
4: I'm
5: doing very good, Carl. Thank you so much.
1: Great. Well, the reason that we asked you all here is because you've all had experience with weight loss surgery, and uh, I think your stories need to be heard because they are uh, each unique and individual and and very, very interesting, especially because you all found your way to keto. So, Louise, why don't you tell us your story?
4: Okay. Um, So my weight gain and weight loss story really begins thinking about my relationship with food. Food has always been a really big part of my life. Um, Like many families, we celebrate food at special occasions like birthdays, holidays, such as Christmas and Easter. Um, My paternal grandparents always had food prepared when we came and visited them. Mm. My grandmother was such a wonderful cook. Her sweets, her cakes, and her plum pudding, her Christmas plum pudding, was something that made that time so special. The cake was rich and dark and fruity and served with lashings of cream and custard. Mm. Bring us a figgy pudding and
1: bring some right here. (laughs)
4: That's right. So I try and make it. It's not quite the same, but this was served after we had heaps, plates full of turkey and roasted vegetables. So that food coma was well deserved. It wasn't really until the birth of my son, um, which was in a really unhappy marriage, which later ended, of course, that I gained most of my weight. So like your esteemed Dr. Phil says, I was having that party in my mouth and eating my emotions.
0: Mm. Yes,
4: Dr. Phil, that's for sure. And of (laughs) course it wasn't working for me, but I haven't got the Texas drawl to do that.
1: (laughs) What were
2: you thinking?
4: (laughs) It's not working for you. Right. Anyway, so the emotional roller coaster escalated with family court matters, dealing with custody issues, oh, which really resulted with me being a full-time single mom of my son who has various learning disabilities. Wow. And this was all the while, while working full-time and doing my doctoral dissertation, so life was one big, messy ball of stress. You're a superwoman. know, so, well, I'm doing the best I can. Anyway. So, I tried all manner of things. I did the obligatory weight watches. I was counting those points. I was drinking them shakes. Me and Jenny Craig became best friends. Mm. I did the Jacan, you know. Anyway, the shakes were an interesting experiment in the sense that they were low carbish, but um, obviously, I needed a lot more fat in the program. And this worked well. I lost about 15 kilos um, at that time, but of course, it wasn't sustainable and I'm not as knowledgeable as I am now about the true science behind eating ketogenically and knowing what I know now. But I'm still trying to get a better understanding of my weight issues and my usual approach, like Donna and Daisy, would like to over-intellectualize things. Um, Being a former paramedic EMT and then I became a university lecturer, I was always looking for reasons behind why I was increasing my weight gain. Right, and of course, conventional wisdom: calories in, calories out. Hell yeah. So, um, like right. Richard, I had, I had that physical trainer punish me three times a week. Huh.
0: Mm-hmm.
4: So, yeah. yeah, sure, the exercise did make me feel better, but it never really shifted the ever increasing weight. Mm. The irony of the situation was that I was, there I was, Dr. Lou, the intelligent, overweight woman, teaching about healthcare and healthcare systems, healthcare policy, was standing out the front of very large freshman first-year classes, and I wasn't practicing what I was meant to be preaching about being empathetic and understanding about healthcare
0: needs.
4: So there I was using my university context. I knew um, of the eating disorder research unit at my local campus, and they were real leaders in this area. And I asked them for um, some contacts for a therapist, and this changed my life. The therapist used um, cognitive behavior therapy to understand what my triggers were and Mm -hmm. really raised consciousness about what those food patterns were. Unpacking this meant that I went back to what my food values and beliefs were and much of that was around childhood and food was a social thing rather than a nourishment thing, which was a real revelation.
0: Oh, right, right.
4: Mm. So shifting my thoughts and feelings and behaviors to better manage those identified stresses in my life and how I was using food to, as Dr. Phil said, eat my emotions,
0: right. which were mm-hmm.
4: mostly carbs and they were easily prepared, accessible, rather than actually nourishing my body. So how did I get to the weight loss surgery decision? It wasn't easy, but again, being who I was, I researched the literature, what my choices were. I interviewed three different surgeons and basically asked them, you know, what is it they're going to do? I took along the research papers with lots of sticky notes and highlighted text because I wanted to show them I was serious about what it was that I was going to do um, for the rest of my life. Wow. But how that came up was a colleague um, who also had a vertical sleeve gastrectomy, and she had great results, and that was a real inspiration to me. So um, I went and um, consulted with her surgeon, which I did. So... At that time, I was nearly 300 pounds, which was about nearly 130,
0: 134 kilos. Yeah, yeah. And I was
4: finding it just so hard just to move around and do things. So nothing was working for me in terms of ways of eating or diets. You know, I felt like I'd tried everything. And after two years of therapy, I really needed to get a better handle on the management of my mental health and stress. And this was the one last option I needed to try. I knew that I didn't want a lap band or gastric bypass from my research, and I wanted a permanent option that allowed me to eat what I wanted to eat and be able to control that portion size. So I later learned the difference between abstaining and moderating. So if anyone's interested in Gretchen Rubin's work on habits, that was really key for me, and I definitely need to abstain from certain foods.
1: So how did the weight loss surgery work? I mean, how did you lose weight for a period of time? What was your experience with it?
4: So at that time, um, before really going low carb, I had lost um I got to about ninety kilos. So, um I had lost around about forty yeah, forty kilos in weight loss.
1: Wow. And and but the diet that you were eating was still high in carbohydrates, so you were hungry most of the time.
4: Yeah. So I was still, I was still needing, or not still needing, but I was still eating regularly and, um, and certainly a carbohydrate diet.
1: Yeah. Did you find that over time your stomach expanded to, to, uh, allow more food or did, did you have problems with vomiting? Like we know Lino had?
4: No, definitely not. Um, I see, I've yeah I see that the weight loss as um in terms of the weight loss surgery is the tool, and I needed to look after my sleeve mm. and it will look after me yeah and it certainly um a, as a tool um no, I've not had any um adverse effects I didn't actually have any vomiting I've never vomited from um obviously other things like apart from alcohol Yeah, sure. um but um <laughs> No, my, there was no complications. Okay. I've had an unremarkable recovery. And um, yeah, it's been absolutely, uh, well, I'm absolutely wrapped with what um, the outcome has been.
1: So thumbs up for you.
4: Yeah, most definitely. Mm. Um, but the in terms of where I am now, in terms of shifting, the next lot of um, 20 kilos has really been focused on the way that I'm eating now right. in terms of low carb.
2: Okay. And do you find that low carb works naturally with um, the vertical sleeve?
4: Most definitely. And I think um I know that Daisy has posted this a number of times about how it's sort of like a hand in glove and it fits so nicely. And it's really worked well um in terms of you know hunger management and feeling obviously the the fullness and eating to society hmm. and really those hunger signals. After the sleeve, um, obviously part of the stomach that they cut out, and I'm sure that Donna can talk more to this, um, is where they cut out the ghrelin um, part of your stomach. And for, I don't know how many days or even weeks, I wasn't feeling hungry at all. It was quite unnatural.
1: Did you say the ghrelin part of your stomach?
4: Correct, the ghrelin yeah, the, the part. So part that si- the, ghrelin
1: the part that signals part. ghrelin, yeah. Oh, the part that signals Sorry. ghrelin. I didn't even know there was a part mm. that signals ghrelin. And ghrelin is the hormone that that, that is a hunger hormone, right?
4: Yeah, Donna can talk to that.
5: So ghrelin is interesting, uh, actually, because it and growth hormone share the same receptors. So, for example, Carl, like a lot of people who are listening know this already. Um, when you fast, what hormone peaks significantly? Well, it's growth hormone.
0: Mm. And, mm.
5: Uh, you know, it's, they don't quite understand the mechanism uh, for hunger. Everyone will tell you it's the hunger hormone, but it actually does a lot more. Okay. Um, but yeah, so most of the ghrelin cells are in the stomach. Uh, actually in infants they also produce it in their lungs and that's what contributes to lung development and so we have some residual cells in our lungs still not very many certainly wow. um, mm. but the stomach still does produce some ghrelin and they've also found that uh, some of the islets of langerhans in the pancreas also
2: right
5: produce ghrelin that that's a very recent development though
1: okay um, well we'll let louise continue with her story and get, we'll get back to ghrelin that's great
4: All right, so there's not too much more to go. Um, So my low-carb journey is a real credit to my mom, and she started with Tim Noakes and Banting in Mm. early 2015. So she really planted the seed of the ideas about lowering carbs and increasing fats, which was a real shift in her thinking, obviously dieting from the 50s and 60s, about obviously calorie deficiencies, um, about the way of eating as a lifestyle rather than a diet. So I took on a lot of those ideas over that summer and really wanted to change the way my new family were planning and preparing um, meals, and especially because I was so appalled at how much processed junk we had in our pantry yeah. and really getting back to basics and eating real food. But what Yay. became more apparent was my new partner, Andrew, and um, his son, Aaron, having um, various medical issues. And they both consulted a immunologist or an allergist who had a strong interest in metabolic syndrome and insulin resistance as part of those um, those medical issues. So Andrew had longstanding allergies, and Aaron has eosinophilic esophagitis,
3: Whoa. which the
4: allergist drew back to yes, is um, insulin resistance. Wow. So Aaron is wow. only. 15 at that time, and he actually had a craft assay, which was really interesting to see and map out that a long, slow response to the glucose that he had. So mm. last week, Ivor is dead right about the early commencement of his patterns long before a type 2 diagnosis is made. Yeah. So we have now three teen boys trying to get them to eat low carbs, which is a real challenge in its own right, yeah. with young men with disposable income, who both Two mm-hmm. of which but work at Burger King, so um, <laughs> Ouch. fast food being cheap, oh no, cheap and accessible. Those frozen cokes will kill you every time.
1: I don't think I could work at Burger King for fifteen minutes. I wouldn't last fifteen minutes.
4: No, <laughs> <laughs> no. Well, they do make funless burgers for me when I when I ask for it, so that's, that's fine. Good. Hmm. So keto for me um, is obviously a natural progression from the low carb. Is about healing the damage to my body both from the years of disorderly eating, but about the physical injuries I sustained from my motorcycle um, crash in May 2015. Oh, my. So, yes. This, the, Donna, you have to give me a gold star for my overachieving. Um, <laughs> I'm um 11 broken ribs, two punctured lungs, a broken shoulder, a fractured sternum, three fractured vertebrae. Which resulted in me having a five-hour spinal surgery, a day in induced coma, then five days in ICU with multiple blood transfusions, and now my lengthy rehab.
2: So wow. keto now. I just got to say, I just, you- just got to say, ouch! And you know, and
1: congratulations for for enduring all of this. I mean, Surviving you really that, are yeah. Superwoman. Seriously, <laughs> what a what a heroic feat.
4: Well, I'm a lean, mean keto machine, so with my my (laughs) rods in my back, and um, so it's about healing the inflammation, and now I'm coming up to nearly 18 months. And I'm off all my pain medications. Yay. I'm doing my strength training using my Five by Five StrongLift app, but not nice. quite to my hero Brenda Zorn. Yeah, um, I sort of <laughs> look at her weights, and it's just amazing.
1: She's amazing.
4: I know my total weight loss now is 60 kilos yeah. or 132 pounds. So feeling fit and strong, and managing most days one meal a day with intermittent fasting. So my goal is to lose more body fat percentage and build more strength in my back of course but it's not really worrying me too much what the scale says my clothes are fitting fine so wow
1: that is an amazing story and what an adventure you've been on oh my yes. and you, you came to a good place
4: yeah but you guys i tell you what um and thanks to the superb recipes <laughs> I make my own bacon um, nice. with my new Christmas present of my wood smoker, and my right. kitchen gadgets. Thanks to Carl, <laughs> okay. our, our medical devices.
1: <laughs> That's right. And I
4: just got to put a plug out there. Instant Pot has to make a two forty volt plug. You know, if I need a capacitor converter the size of a small machine, um, um, yeah, Instant Pot need to come to Australia. So um, oh, there yes, are
1: other totally kinds agree. of Instant Pots besides Instant Pot, though, right? That's a brand.
4: Well,
2: you can't fry foods in this ones. You Get in Australia,
4: yeah. Oh, it, well. it just we looked at a capacitor thing, and it just wasn't going to work. But um, next on the list is a SUV, But I did give my my mum one for Christmas, and she's doing a great job, you know, test running everything for me. So
1: and and you are Doctor Louise Reynolds. What is your what is what is that all about? What is your doctor in
4: uh, business and management. And I was the first Australian female paramedic to undertake doctoral studies, um, dissertation studies. Wow. And, um, I, yeah. So that was, um, back in 2008 when I finished my PhD. And, um, so. Fantastic. I'm just trying to do the best I can. But thank you to the dudes for making me an admin. It's been so inspiring.
1: Well, it's it's just great to hear all these great stories and you know, we didn't invent this stuff. You I mean, you did this no. work yourself and you deserve the credit. So well done.
2: You came to the same Thank place you. that we came to with the same research. So uh, mm. uh well done you.
1: Oh, thanks. Okay, let's uh let's let's hear from Donna next. Donna, how are you?
5: I'm doing good, Carl. How are you?
1: I'm awesome. And so is Richard. I take it.
2: <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm just sitting here quietly listening to these stories
1: Yes, let's hear yours
2: So, so, so tell us Donna, where, how did you come to uh, weight loss surgery and, and keto?
5: So I actually sort of did things backwards uh, My uh, original weight was very high and I had almost no mobility I actually weighed over 750 pounds Whoa um, Yeah, this was many, many years ago And wow. you know, when you can't move around, obviously they're like, you should exercise Well, no yeah. I mean, you can't even freaking cook. So, by the way, I'm from New Jersey. I'm trying not to curse. Just
1: <laughs> no, that's kind all right. Of- we can bleep you. It's okay. okay. Yeah.
2: <laughs> We've had Brenda on on the show. We can we, we had can Jason bleep show. <laughs> you should hear he our phone
5: conversations. It. But anyway, no. So, uh, you know, obviously, you're, you can literally not walk more than a few feet. And mm. uh, what happened was my weight gain occurred. For a couple of reasons. One, I have, uh, and I don't mind, I talk about it publicly because it reduces stigma, I feel. Yeah. Um, I have major depressive disorder, which is, it, it was very bad at one point. Now, I haven't had an episode for years, which I actually credit the ketogenic diet with. Hmm. Um, and I also have an eating disorder called binge eating disorder, hmm. uh, obviously. But but uh, I found that most people in my situation do have a behavioral disruptance of eating. Hmm. Uh, but but That's another show probably. So anyway, um, at 750 pounds, I'm like, look, I'm, I'm basically going to die. I mean, there's no way to put it. You know, I'm not going to see 35 if this keeps up. Yeah. So I, uh, did a lot of research, uh,
2: and you, you were pre-med at one point, weren't you, Donna?
5: That that was actually like 20 years ago in my misspent youth, and I <laughs> left medical school to run away and get married and move to Chicago. Uh, by the way, don't do that. So <laughs> listeners who are 19, don't do that, just FYI. Uh, <laughs> stay
2: in med school.
0: <laughs>
5: yes, stay yes, in I actually don't regret leaving med school uh, because I don't like – well, that's another show too. But anyhow, so, okay. um,
0: uh,
5: you know, I, I – I, was getting a divorce at the time too. And I'm like, look, something has to change. Yeah. And what happened was um, I had a basically a nervous breakdown and I saw a psychiatrist and he's like, you're going to therapy. And I'm like, you're a crazy dude. And he's like, no, seriously. <laughs> and to be honest, that is what saved my life. And the first two years that I, I was actually on a low carb diet. There was a book called protein power. I'm sure people are familiar. Yeah. with
2: Yeah. Um, the ate.
5: Yeah, and it's a great book still. I mean, some of the work is dated, but it's still a fabulous book uh, Mm. in some regards. And, uh, you know, the Eads basically started me saving my life. Uh, It was either that or Atkins. And at the time, Atkins was getting a bad rap, sort of. Protein power was the trendy thing at the time. This was like the mid-2000s or a little later. But anyhow, uh, so basically I lost 200 pounds in the first two years on a very low-carb diet. And, uh, I eventually transitioned to zero carb for a while, uh, because I was, at uh, about 600 pounds. I started going to school and mm. that was an interesting experience getting your bachelor's degree at 600 pounds, but I did it. Uh, and then I oh, went wow. into graduate school. Yeah. And so I, here I am in graduate school. I'm weighing like about, I think when I started the surgery process, I had gotten down to 460 pounds. By that point I had been on a ketogenic diet for a while, mm-hmm. um, and I had slower weight loss, but inches wise, I was losing a lot. Like I think my waist used to be like almost ninety inches, and it's way it's less than half that now. Um, wow. So the yeah, no, it's uh I was I, I can't complain. Even though, there's a way to go. Don't get me wrong, but you know, so so here I am in school though, and I uh, my master's degree is in clinical psychology. And to complete your degree and to get licensure, you have to do an internship. So I mean, think about this. So you're like basically over 400 pounds and you're going to have to work in a hospital or some other setting you can't you walk up to 10 miles a day in a hospital you yeah. know so i was confronted with this reality and my weight loss had it was still consistent but i was still struggling and no matter how i ate even on zero carb my a1c was still too high
2: what did your a1c gotten up to
5: my a1c at the highest was 11.2
2: oh me too that was mine my, my apex too <laughs>
5: Uh, it's not creepy or anything, but anyhow. So yeah, no. Now, right now, it's a four point eight, which is very that good. That is
2: amazing.
5: Yeah. yeah, I mean, and 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 so that part of that surgery. So before the surgery, it was about six ish, uh, okay. and a year after surgery, it was four point eight.
1: Okay, and how did the surgery work for you?
5: So I picked. I also have the vertical sleeve gastrectomy. Um, originally, I was going to get the duodenal switch surgery. Uh, because for a higher weight, usually that's considered to be the best in terms of long-term outcomes, 5 to 10 years, because it's really easy to lose weight when they cut out an organ and you can't freaking eat anything, right? So you <laughs> want to look at 5 to 10-year results for anything because that shows durability.
0: Yeah.
5: Um, the problem is it's very severe, and I can post more about it on the forums, okay. but you, you end up with severe malabsorption, which isn't a problem if you supplement, but you basically have to take like $100 of supplements a month.
2: Right, for life
1: malabsorption being the inability to absorb nutrients?
5: So the, with the duodenal switch, yes, it's nutrients. It's micronutrients, so vitamins, but also macronutrients. Wow. So the surgery basically requires you to follow a very high-protein, high-fat diet because you do not absorb a significant amount of fat pro- or protein. Wow. Uh, that surgery, it's it's relatively unique to that surgery. Hmm. Um, the interesting thing about it is most of the satisfaction post-operatively. I talked to something like 100 I'm really a dork, right? So I talked to like 100 people who had had it, give or take a few, and only three were dissatisfied with it. Hmm. And I'm like, this is crazy. This is some crazy. Sh-. Oh, sorry. Uh, because <laughs> it well, if you think about it, it's really extreme, right? You have uh, a lot of people will have bowel side effects for a while, there's something you can get with malabsorption called short bowel syndrome. Hmm. And, right. you know, we'll see it with a lot of other surgeries, and it can be very life affecting. And the people are like, yeah, we don't care. It's freaking awesome. And I'm like, yeah, that's interesting. As a therapist, that's very interesting to me. Um, but the procedure we have, the vertical sleeve gastrectomy was actually initially done as the first part of that surgery. And uh, the surgeon I worked with, he's an amazing surgeon. He said, you know, Donna, before I even consider doing this operation, you need to remember, I could literally kill you with this surgery. This is a major surgery. Whoa. Uh, you have to change all your habits permanently, or it's not going to work. And he's like, you have to have tried everything before we do this. It's a very, and a lot of surgeons don't necessarily do that. Yeah. But uh, I canceled, I actually had an appointment with the University of Chicago to get the switch. And based on what the surgeon told me, I'm like, you know what, I'm going to go with this guy. Because he, when he's honest, and two, yeah. he's conservative. Mm. Um, so the, my surgery went very well. They actually did it in less than an hour. <sighs> um, and the interesting thing, and I had talked to Richard a couple of years ago about my liver So normally when we're obese, we have a very fatty liver. It takes quite some time to reverse. Um, And it's called Mm now an alcoholic fatty liver disease. Well, when they did my surgery, my liver looked perfect. It looked like I had never been obese. And the surgeon credits that to me having been on a ketogenic diet and a low-carb diet for so long. Sure. I thought that was interesting. That
2: is interesting. Donna, could you give us a quick sidebar on the different uh, kinds of uh, weight loss surgeries? Okay, I'll save
5: the lap band for last because I hate it. Um,
2: <laughs> that's what Leno had. That's right. Yeah,
5: don't ever get the lap band. I mean, uh, but it, so the first most common surgery now is the vertical sleeve gastrectomy. And I think that's what the three of us have, actually. Right. Um, it is very well tolerated, which means that after surgery, you can pretty much eat anything in the sense of tolerating food. Uh, some people do have food sensitivities, but for the most part, you can eat normally, um, about a year after the surgery, what happens is the sleeve swelling goes down. So your capacity does increase. But as we all know, it's not how much you eat that matters typically. It's, it's what you eat.
0: Yeah.
2: Um, and when. Yes. So this is a webbing uh, that's wrapped wraps around the stomach to compress the size of it.
5: No. So actually no. what they do for the gastrectomy, they excise or remove uh, 80% of the stomach permanently. So normally your stomach is shaped ah. like a kidney bean. Yeah. Right. Yep. Uh, so what this does is it cuts off the back part of the kidney being called the fundus, and the fundus mm. is the part that stretches. That's also the part going back earlier, which makes the ghrelin.
2: Right.
0: So gotcha. you
5: have a permanent serum reduction of ghrelin for life.
2: Wow. And that might also pre- prevent insulin uh, production as well. I mean, it's the stretching of the stomach that that uh, provokes some uh, secretion of insulin. So mm.
0: uh, removing well, the part
2: that could stretch probably would reduce that as well.
5: So it does. And it also alters the neuroendocrine response because eating to fullness and stomach stretching permanently over over time, not like once, right, alters mm-hmm. the whole neuroendocrine response around fullness, which a lot of people right. also don't realize. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyhow, so, so that's one surgery that's it, the safest currently in terms of low side effects, uh, short inpatient stay. You have to watch for what are called leaks in the mm-hmm. staple line, uh, mm-hmm. which is what you still want a skilled surgeon to do it, obviously. Um, Good, and the sh- sure. surgery is the shortest. Mm-hmm. The one a lot of people are familiar with is called the gastric bypass, though. Right. And the whole name is the Roux-en-Y gastric bypass. Mm-hmm. Um, and what that refers to is what they do is so you keep your whole stomach. And I, I like think someone was drunk who actually came up with the surgery because it sounds ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. uh, you keep your whole stomach, but they retain a small pouch of it. So they make a little pouch by where the esophagus is, like this little bubble. The rest of the stomach stays in the body and is connected to the system. And then they bypass about 150 centimeters of intestine. And they start that bypass after what's called the duodenum, which is the first part of the small intestine. Right. So there's mm. a caloric malabsorption because – so the yeah. less time food is in contact with the intestines, the less uh, macro and micronutrients and energy you absorb. Um, right. There's still carbohydrate absorption. There's still – so – all of that. And the problem is that comes back. So the, the, the caloric malabsorption and the energy, I should say energy malabsorption because I hate calories, but anyhow, yeah. <laughs> uh, the energy malabsorption returns after some people say it's two years, some people say it's five. Regardless, it comes back. The malabsorption of iron and other, uh, you know, minerals and vitamins, though, does not. Mm. So so you still have to supplement and you have to watch your labs carefully. Um, that was done exclusively and until I think 2014 or 15, the ASMBS, which is uh, the American Society of Metabolic and Bariatric Surgeons. I'm sure mm. the internet will tell me if I got that wrong. But okay. <laughs> um, their statistics, uh, about 200,000 people get surgery a year now and in the United States and about half of all the people now get the sleeve. Prior to that, it was like sixty percent gastric bypass, and then some so much of the lap band. Yeah, um, right. which okay. I still hate. Right. Okay, so so the bypass—it's not a bad surgery, but the sleeve has actually outcomes that are the same now. Now that the sleeve has been done for so many years,
2: uh, okay. you
5: still see an excessive weight loss that's permanent, five to five to ten years of about fifty percent.
2: Right.
0: Wow.
5: So uh, then there's the duodenal switch, which I mentioned. Which mm-hmm. this is like. Again, you know, it's interesting they came. Oh, so about the bypass, uh, interesting story that was originally invented to treat acid reflux, hmm. which I, wow. I didn't know until the other day. Yeah. So so they found out people were losing weight. They're like, hey, we should do this to fat people. <sighs> so, uh, anyhow, sorry, I'm a little irreverent. No, that's untreated. okay. So now Understood. we have the duodenal switch. Well, I don't know if that's good, Carl, but, you know, anyhow. It so is the what duodenal it is. switch has. <laughs> <laughs> That has the, what they do is the sleeve gastrectomy, and that one is actually usually twice the capacity of the standalone sleeve. So you can still actually eat quite a bit. So, to give you an idea of capacity, the normal stomach, when full, holds about 32 ounces by volume on average. Mm. Um, After the sleeve surgery that, you know, for example, me and Luis and Daisy have, it's about four ounces. Yeah. Uh, with the duodenal switch, it's about eight, but every surgeon's different. Is the other thing that drives I me. Mean, that's none of these procedures are standardized for uh, the switch anyway. But that's another right. show as well. But anyhow, so they do the sleeve gastrectomy first. Then what they do is they completely bypass most of the small intestine. So the what they do is they reconnect part of it to the area where the pancreas is. So all of the bile ducts and pancreatic enzymes still eventually encounter the food. Right, But what happens is there's a common channel, they call it, between the bypass intestine and the intestine that comes from the stomach down. And that's anywhere from 50 to 150 centimeters, which isn't very much, actually. Mm -hmm. Um, And all of about four feet of the intestine on average. Again, it depends. Every surgeon does it differently. And I've heard some surgeons have done what's called a mini-DS. Actually, one has, and that was a nightmare because he was actually removing part of the small intestine. Uh, which you should never do unless there's no other choice. But anyhow, um, mm. it's why you always, always, always have to vet your surgeons and be skeptical. But that's another show as well. So anyhow, uh, this causes severe malabsorption, as you can imagine. Sure. About 30% of everything you eat permanently, you don't absorb um, or utilize in the body. Uh, so that's not a problem if you supplement. The issue I have with it is it, we call it compliance in medicine, and all that means is following the regimen that you're supposed to follow.
0: Mm-hmm. And
5: it's very hard for most people with an eight-ounce stomach to eat 150 grams of protein a day.
1: Right. Yeah.
5: You know, never mind the fat. And so also there's an issue where the surgeon departments confuse the surgery. So they'll tell Duodenal Switch patients to eat low fat, which is crazy because right. you have to actually eat as much fat as we do in addition yeah. to the extra protein.
0: Right? Yeah, so, So that's
5: horrible. I mean, it's dangerous right. is what it mm. is. Um, so it's not a bad surgery, but the support for surgery, frankly, sucks. And then there's a lap band which should be stabbed and set on fire and never <laughs> implanted in anyone again.
2: So this is what Lino had, and, yeah. and he had a horrible uh, oh. a horrible process. He, he almost died on the operating table getting it oh put in, God. and then he almost died getting it taken out. It was
1: yeah,
0: horrible. That's horrible.
1: And then he was vomiting it's, so much that that became the danger of uh, too much acid and scarring in the throat and the esophagus. And yeah. it's, yeah.
5: You know, the lap bands, they're nightmares. Um, and they're finding the lap band, and this is even on the ASMBS website, if anyone's curious, they go through all the benefits and disadvantages for surgery. And the lap band has more disadvantages than advantages. And even the duodenal switch doesn't. Hmm. And actually, right. people have a higher satisfaction by a severe magnitude with the switch than the lap band, which if you think about it, says something, you yeah. know, because they say the lap band is non-invasive. Well, that's absolutely but, not true. Yeah. It, uh, so the lap band, for people who don't know, it's a band that's inflatable. It's basically like a rubber tube, and what they do is they secure it to the stomach loosely, but they wrap it around. They measure out how much they want the you know, the top part of the stomach to hold, which is going to hold food. Yeah. The idea is it's a restrictive only procedure. There's no biochemical changes that happen or things like that.
2: But this is done laparoscopically, isn't it?
5: It, so Richard, that's an interesting, so it depends. Um, hmm. Some surgeons will not operate laparoscopically for any of these surgeries, but the best ones will. Like my surgeon will do yeah. up to 600 pounds laparoscopically, 600 wow. pound clients, even over sure. that he's done. So hmm. you, that's the other thing. So I've seen people who've had open lap bands, which I think is frankly also ridiculous mm-hmm. um, because open surgery is its own issue. But right. anyhow, uh, so what happens is you have this band on the stomach. Well, a lot of people don't think about this. You're moving around, obviously, because your body moves. Well, your organs move, too. This is a very simplistic way to put it. Doctors, again, don't kill me on the Internet. But what (laughs) happens is the band can shift because you're also eating, and the stomach is a physical organ. It masticates food.
0: Right. And it
5: moves. And so Mm -hmm. a lot of times we'll see the band slip, which causes a problem. Um, The band can adhere to the stomach and cause damage to the stomach that's permanent. Oh. Uh, there's a tube that goes from the band. So you have a port under your skin that has a tube that goes to the band and they, and they use that to fill it. Well, any of that can mess up. So anyone who's ever done work with computers knows the more components that's in something, the more that's basically going to get messed up. Yeah. Uh, the, the more road.
1: complicated it is, yeah. Right.
5: So I, I'm much happier when that happens to my computer than my stomach,
1: however.
2: Mm. Your inids, yeah, yeah. You definitely don't want your inids crashing.
5: Well, so another pro- another interesting thing about the lab band is you have to get it filled and adjusted. Well, each of those visits is a chunk of change.
0: Yeah,
2: um,
5: sure. So maybe in countries that have better healthcare than the United States, which is basically everywhere, <laughs> it may not be a factor. But here, get like that, adds up. Like yeah. it, uh, I don't know about now, but like ten years ago, there were doctors doing it for like two hundred bucks a visit, no insurance, right? So you have to go once a month or once every few months, rather. But that adds up. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. the biggest issue I do have aside from the complications is that there's no metabolic benefit yeah. so all the other surgeries have an instant and non-replicatable benefit that would otherwise take many years to accomplish well a year to many it depends.
0: Right. I mean, it depends through weight
2: loss alone
5: right and don't get me wrong you don't have to get surgery to get those mild metabolic benefits I want to say that outright you absolutely do not um you know in my case there was a time sensitive issue with internship number one and I needed to mm. lose weight quickly but i also had stalled for a while yeah. um, and i also used to weigh 750 pounds you know if i weighed sure. like 200 pounds they, they'll do it a different story yeah well yeah. exactly so you know even 300 pounds is a different story as far as i'm concerned but you know the lap band though gets used on lower bmi people so you'll mm. see people with 200 pounds overweight like a woman you know five six and they'll do a lap band well i think that's a bad idea
2: that's unethical surely
5: so here's the thing and all, everyone and you and carl especially will understand my critique it's based on bmi
2: yeah you, so so that
5: all the don't get me of, started
2: on the bmi well,
5: right so 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 that's what they base it on um mm. so someone who's my height i'm five two well five one but i'm i'm five two for the <laughs> that stands for bullcrap
1: uh, measurement <laughs> index right
5: no it does it's ridiculous so so i'm supposed to weigh like a hundred pounds well you know what when i was a size four when i was like Young, I didn't freaking weigh a hundred pounds ever mm. in my life.
1: Well, Donna, yeah, can, let's insane. get back to your story. That was a fascinating oh, sidebar. Where do we leave off in your journey?
5: You know, Carl, I have a big mouth. Just tell me to shut up. No, so, no, uh, that's not
0: what I'm saying. <laughs> I want you to speak.
5: So, so I had I had surgery in June of 2015, and since then I've lost uh, 142 pounds. Wow. Um, yeah, I'm in the two, the high two nineties now, two ninety-ish.
1: And how much of that do you attribute to the surgery versus what you eat?
5: So I actually view surgery like a like a program. There's an old programmer saying, you know, it's G I G O, right? So garbage in, garbage out. So you can have a four thousand dollar MacBook and treat it like a piece of crap. I mean, it doesn't matter that it's a MacBook, it doesn't matter that's like a 4000 dollars alienware PC. It matters what you do with it. That's and so right. surgery, I think that for me the benefit of surgery one is I have binge eating disorders, so I should always have restricted consumption.
0: Yeah. Even
5: though I don't binge and I haven't in a while. Um, I find it psychologically helpful, number one. I find it physically helpful uh, as well because I feel much better than surgery. My hunger, before surgery, even on keto, I would be like crazy psychotic hungry, like Hmm. pregnant lady with four twins, hasn't eaten in eight weeks, really needs to eat something crazy. No, it was psychotic. It was like the psychotic (laughs) hunger. And I I was freaking out because the way my surgeon does it, you're NPO for 24 hours, which means no water by mouth and no food by mouth. And if you've been a binge eater, that's like it's like, holy crap. This is like the end of the world. Worse than it and I was able to do it without thinking. You know, my my blood sugar fasting the day of surgery was 170, probably elevated because of the stress. Mm. Um the day after my fasting blood sugar was seventy uh seventy nine. Oh yeah. Which it had never been, like even no matter what diet I had been on.
2: Um, wow, that's an that's your instant metabolic uh, advantage, right there, isn't it?
5: Yeah, so so mine is actually atypical because usually it takes a couple of days, but there is an instant. So for people who are severe, like in a severe state of, of health, and they can't wait two or three years, yeah, surgery is a better option in that regard. Um, if you've ever weighed over four hundred pounds, surgery is a good option, partially because it also compensates for behavior. Mm. And that that goes into my, so my experience, I think Carl, you know, is a lesson in in the power of behavior actually. Yeah. Because behavior is on. I look at obesity as a dysregulation of hormones. Yes. And that paired with maladaptive behavior so we're not talking about you know the skinny type 2 diabetic which actually there are a lot of people who are skinny type 2 diabetics sure.
1: tofies we're going to do um, a whole show on we're do a show on them one day yep. yeah
5: i mean and I, I think that's actually very important because people don't realize hey i'm skinny well i'm healthy well no you're not shut yeah, up but right. anyhow mm. i shouldn't say that because I'm a but, <laughs> but, but but so so like but, but 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 when you're talking about obesity you have like an abundance of adipose tissue fat people don't realize is an organ
2: yes right which we learned last week
5: Oh, hey, look, I'm advertising for, you know, I So that, so So fat is an organ and it, people constantly don't realize it. And it's actually important. We need it. Women need fat to have babies. Yeah. You know, if you're too skinny, you're not going to have periods. If mm-hmm. you're too fat, you're not going to have periods either. And you're not going to be able to get pregnant. Right. Uh, you know, even even men need some fat for hormone regulation. So mm. that that that's the issue. And, and, and weight loss surgery maximizes our ability to manage it because it regulates about their hunger and fat gain are very complex, mm. you know, and ketogenesis naturally resolves it, and so does fasting to some degree. Yeah, um, but you know, the thing is, you have a permanent metabolic benefit with the bile acids, for example. The bile acids affect your gut microbiome mm-hmm. in the small intestine, right. and that's a factor in obesity. Um, you have permanently reduced ghrelin, which means if there's less ghrelin in circulation, using the growth hormone receptors. So this is just a theory, okay. okay. But but then what can you use those receptors? Well, then growth hormone can use them because sure. you reduce ghrelin.
1: So let's continue this conversation with uh, Daisy Brackenhall. Hi, Daisy.
3: Hi, Carl. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Really excited to be here. <laughs>
1: yes, and we're excited to have you. Let's hear your story.
3: Okay, well, mine's, mine's quite different from the other two, and um, I feel – Ashamed in some ways that i just i've just stumbled along there's no more research these days, but i I knew nothing to start mm. with um, uh, i've I've always had a difficult relationship with food for as long as I can remember really certainly from my early teens I've had that uh typical gaining weight losing weight I think I did my first official diet age about. 14 15 wow uh yeah so i've really been going up and down since then um and always always linked to emotions with me food has always been either something that i try to comfort myself with as a treat it's an it's an easy treat right it's uh you know you learn from an early age that a chocolate bar or something it's something delicious and it's a treat so right. if, if you're if you're feeling unhappy, then the easiest way to try and change that to being happy um, is to is to you have something exactly and it's a cheap and easy way to do that um so i've 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 always done that and and late, later on I've actually used carbs especially I learned uh, were an, a numbing type, um, medication, if you like. So I could, i uh, w- when I got really unhappy, I just wanted to be out of it basically. Right. And I've, I've never turned to drugs, um, uh, which, which would probably have done it faster and more effectively, but <laughs> mm. l- luckily I've, I've never done that. Um, but I use food, so I, I I found that by eating a lot of carbohydrates, it would it would make me sleepy. I'd go to sleep and and I'd I'd be asleep for ages, and I wouldn't have to be unhappy because I was asleep. Um, so from probably my early twenties, I was diagnosed with an underactive thyroid, and. I, I suddenly thought oh, i'm gonna i'm i'm just going to lose weight this is this is amazing hmm. um but the doctor the doctor said to me you no, know, he said unless this has specifically caused your weight gain it's not going to solve the problem yeah. um and it didn't for me uh i I also um saw a psychiatrist at the time who told me officially that I had depression. This is what all this unhappiness was it 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 had a label and Apparently, it had a cure, which was um, Prozac, basically.
0: Mm, yeah, um, sure.
3: It, ex, except that never worked very well, um, and I basically just carried on gaining weight, gaining weight, losing weight, gaining weight—the the normal sort of cycle—and all the things that people do, Weight Watchers, you name it, I've I've done it. Um, and I moved to France, um, and the problem just just continued and uh one day one of my one of my long phone conversations with my mum, you know talking about how unhappy i was and how fat i was and how difficult it made everything you know i'm a um i was a garden designer trained as a garden designer in the uk but when i came to france really all 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 the work i could get was garden maintenance and when you're 134 kilos which is what i got to that's actually really hard to do, um, you know. And I would I would come home and just cry at the end of the day because I had welts wow. and sores from in the summer when it was so so hot, oh. and everything would rub, and and I would oh, just yeah. have these sores, and everything was hard, everything yeah. was painful and awful. And my mum said to me, you know, you should go and see the doctor because here in in the uk people are getting this uh, weight loss surgery done on mm. the nhs uh, you sh- you should go and see your doctor so i thought well why not what have i got to lose so um i i went to my gp and he referred me to a bariatric surgeon and um this he is said, in
2: england right
3: no this is in france
2: in france okay
3: yeah um and so i saw him and he did the usual worked out my bmi um, and straight away said, right, yeah, we have this great surgeon f- surgery for you. Uh, it's called the band.
0: Mm.
2: Oh dear.
3: Uh, mm. Yeah, and so, but of course, I, I didn't know, I didn't know anything about it, and I just, for me, it was this lifeline. It was something that the surgeon was going to do. He was going to put in my body, and it was going to solve all my problems. Right. It was a
2: heroic intervention, which uh, certain kinds of uh, surgeons um, make their living out of. Yeah, yeah, that's right.
3: Yeah, and and he actually, to his credit, he has changed over um, his career and no longer performs the band, but uh, come to that later. Um, mm. So, yeah, he 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 said, "Okay, this is this is what we can do." And I was great, you know. This this is the answer to all my problems. Um, so I had the band. Mm-hmm. And to start with, uh, nothing really. Oh, and he took, he took my gallbladder out first because he said in his experience, a lot of people tended to have issues. Um, if, if their gallbladder um, was at all, had potential for, for problems, which, which mine did, it turned out it had stones in it already. Oh, he said, right. after, after the surgery, you can, you can have real issues and it will have to come out under emergency surgery. And I've heard a lot of stories about that, actually. So yeah. Um, although I think potentially I have problems with not having a gallbladder on balance. I'm, I'm quite glad he took it out. Um, Mm. so I had the band and to start with nothing happened. I'm like, okay, so I can still eat completely normally. Um, I went back to see him and, um, I needed a fill. So, um, he, he injected as, as Donna said, you have this port under your skin, uh, which, um, basically they stab a, a needle in and, Inject saline and it and it fills up the the band and it increases the restriction. Uh, and can so, they reduce
2: that as well with the same yes. process? Yes.
3: So they they put the needle cool. in and they take saline out. So ah. you can you can go either way, and you have to continually adjust. Wow.
0: Um,
3: so I came home and it was just before Christmas, and my brother came over, and I, I made this you know fantastic normal sort of roast dinner, um, and I discovered straight away that I could hardly eat anything and what I did eat I would throw back up. So I would probably yeah. only consume maybe 10% of what I ate, which wasn't very much. And I was so desperate that I thought this was fantastic. I thought it was great that I could eat anything I wanted to. I couldn't eat very much of it and I would basically regurgitate it. It wasn't it sounds gross and it was gross, but it wasn't like sick. Um, yeah. because you were literally just regurgitating food so right. it actually wasn't quite as It didn't as have a lot of
1: acid in it in other
3: words. N- no, none at all. So you literally you ate something and then you tasted it as it came back up again exactly as it went down. Wow. Yeah. And uh, so I thought this was great and that carried on for about 6 months until basically when the summer came around and it was and it was really hot again I started fainting uh, when I was working um because well, basically- You weren't getting I, any nutrition. I was, I was suffering from malnutrition, yeah. yeah. Um, so uh, yeah, I thought this this isn't good, however much I like the fact that I've, I'd have i lost about, I think 20 odd kilos by there. This, this is not right, I can't actually function. So I went back and they tried to um, take some of the saline out. And that was the first time they discovered um, that my port had flipped round one eighty, so they're stabbing away with Whoa. the with the needle, yeah, and they're pulling the x-ray machine in what's going on? We can't get this needle in the hole, and they discovered that it had flipped round one eighty, so the hole, why they don't have holes on both sides, I don't know, but the the hole couldn't be accessed because it had turned round towards my yeah. inside. So I had to go in and have an operation to switch it around. And although everything was keyhole, actually where the port, where they put the port in was um, maybe nearly 10, 10, 10 across the um, the scar. Mm, so, wow. so yeah, so I yeah. did that and basically that happened twice. So um, further on down the line, the exact same thing happened again. And I was like, well, what, how does this happen? Are you not sewing it in properly or something? Because, you know, I, I have a reasonably active lifestyle. I'm a gardener, but I'm I'm not doing anything that should make it undo itself and flip round. But so twice that happened um and so everything carried on really I never really got on very well with it. Then then I started to have real regurgitation problems during the night where this uh, brown foamy liquid would come up. Oh. And it was it was It was horrific, and
2: so you you aspirated in your sleep, really,
3: yeah, and to the point where i couldn't i couldn't sleep horizontally, so i I would sleep in an armchair um to to keep myself upright, and I would have a container next to me because this stuff would come up um and and i I suppose I just got into the habit of almost subconsciously not really fully awake, just sort of spitting this stuff out in my sleep. Um, so you had to
2: sleep upright, yeah. so she didn't drown at night.
3: Basically, yeah, because if if yeah if if I was lying down, I would start choking, and it would it would get really awful. So this 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 carried on for quite a long time, and I I actually went to the UK on a visit to see my family when I had it, and and it was just embarrassing because I would I would be you know given a bedroom to sleep in, I would always have to find my way to the sitting room and end up sleeping upright and, and just spewing this stuff out. It was horrible. And, and also it would make me cough a lot during the day. Um, and it would, it would come up. I've had to run to the bathroom in a restaurant before, because uh, I think I was in a Thai restaurant and, um, a bit of chili caught in my throat and I started coughing and the liquid started coming up. Uh. Um, so these, these awful things. And, would cough so much that I actually lost my voice for for two weeks, um,
4: not so good. I thought,
3: okay, well yeah, this is not this is obviously not right. Um, so went back to the surgeon, okay, we'll have a look're we're, we're, the only way really we can find out is to is to go in so I think they might have done a gastroscopy actually, um, and they couldn't really sort it out, so they said we're, we're going to have to put you under and go in and and have a look and see what's going on, um, which they did. And as Donna mentioned, the band had slipped, um, which is why I was having all these problems. Mm, and right, because things move uh, around.
2: Especially yeah. if you have an active life, yeah.
3: Exactly. So um, they replaced it. Um, so I came back out and everything was reasonable for a while. But um, then I just had this issue where I felt like I had a lump in my throat all the time and mm. every time I ate anything, or drink anything, I would have to then drink at least a liter of water to sort of make it go down, stop this, this yeah. lump in my throat. Uh, totally bizarre. I would wake up in the morning and have a sip of water. I would still have to drink a liter of water to get that bit of water down. It's just, this is, this is just weird. So everyone got used to me. Every, every time they fed me, they had to give me liters and liters of water so i was you know always always peeing you know always Mm. drinking water i was so well hydrated um but obviously i i I came to the point i i you know i can't go on like this this is not right so i went back to the surgeon and he said what's your problem that sounds great you can't eat much you're drinking loads of water i said well yeah but it's not i can't can't live like this it's it's not right and i had i had another gastroscopy and i had another one where they put the tube down your nose i'm not sure what that is um mm. and nobody could find anything wrong they all told me there's nothing wrong with you apart from the um the the doctor who did the gastroscopy and she said um yeah we're seeing lots of problems with the band and if you start having a problem you're going to carry on having problems forever and so I came to the decision. I've got to have this thing out. I've had enough of it. It's coming out. Yeah. And the surgeon said, "Yep, fine." And he wanted to replace it straight away with this uh, this new procedure they were doing called the sleeve. Um, but at this point, I'd lost faith in him. I I I just wanted to do it on my own. It's like, that's that's it. I've I've had enough. Uh, I'd started the Ducan diet. Um, which, in a in a way, was a forerunner to keto. When I look back with 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 hindsight, huh. and I was I was getting on quite well with it, um, and so I thought, no, I'm going to do this on my own, um, and so I did, and I did really well actually for about a year, and I carried on losing weight, and I got to the point where I went back to the surgeon and saw a plastic surgeon and had a 360 body lift, um, which um, is basically to get rid of that the big overhang that you can end up with when you right. lose a lot of weight. I think yeah. I was yeah. about, I was about 85, 87 kilos at that point. And, um, they basically cut all the way around uh, in a, in a, in like a huge belt and they take everything out and they sew you together. Uh, I used to say, it looks like I used to make a joke saying, um, I used to be a magician's assistant and it, and it went a bit wrong. because <laughs> Yeah. It looks like I've been cut enough. in half. Yeah, exactly. Uh, um, so that, that was great. It, you know, I was, I was, I'd got rid of this, this, this big overhang and I felt good and everything was going well. And then it stopped going well. And, um, from, I think it, it was, uh, towards the end of the summer from about September to the end of the year, I gained, um, so in about four months, I gained six stone. Um,
1: and how much is a stone actually?
3: Uh, a stone it's around six kilos. So you're looking at about three
2: Probably 13. close
3: to forty kilos. 14. Forty kilos, yeah. Yeah. So I. Oh wow. Li- literally ballooned and I- and I went a really weird shape because I'd had this body lift. So and 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 I just lost it again. All it, it just gone and it was all down to carbs, of course. Um, and I just I'd had no support with the band. So there was no support group. There was no one to talk to. Huh. Um, Everything lacking. And then then I found online again, I think my mum had heard something on Radio 4. um, And I started getting online and I found um, these weight loss surgery forums and and groups um, and started finding out what my options were. and convince myself I wanted a bypass because I want the most restrictive thing going. I want to I'd heard about this dumping syndrome, which um, bypassers can get, but it turns out a lot of them actually don't, that if you eat um if you eat too much sugar or fat, because of course fat was still the devil then, um, you would have this dumping syndrome where you'd basically be really ill. You'd get diarrhea you might vomit you 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 just feel awful and i thought well this is great this is gonna retrain me exactly that that's the that's the point of desperation i was i was what i was at Mm
0: -hmm. um
3: i you know i just wanted to have something that would take this away i can remember sitting eating um, a tub of Häagen-Dazs, which was always my favourite ice cream. Mm. Um, this is my sort of self-medication, I guess. Eating it, tears streaming down my face. Yeah. So unhappy, so miserable. Eating this stuff that I was was trying to make me feel better, but it wasn't making me feel better. And
0: right. it,
3: so just in this awful, awful place. And so I went. I went straight back to the surgeon. I said, right, you know, I want. Well, yeah i want this bypass so I, I want i just want you to solve this problem um and he got out his chart and he worked out my bmi and he said um no we can we can do the sleeve he said i don't i don't want you to have a bypass uh you're too young there are too many complications um and just on balance um it, it's it's not right for you um okay. but the sleeve is um and and so and so i said yeah great you know we'll we'll do this and i knew a bit more about it i knew what to expect and i had this support network online um so i so i had the sleeve in i think it was 2014 so just just uh coming up to my 3 year anniversary actually in in may this year and and it was fantastic um I was I was in hospital for quite a long time. I was in for about eight days and and just kind of went insane. But um, it it felt great. I could uh, straight away they put me on um, mashed up food. I was eating normal food. Apparently I could eat whatever I wanted to. I just couldn't eat very much. So and this and the restriction worked fantastically well huh. immediately. And I was just amazed. You know, I could I could I ate a few spoonfuls of food and I was full.
1: Yeah. Uh, it's fantastic. interesting that both you and uh, Donna and Louise all had this same surgery and uh, the way that it, it takes out the part of the stomach, as we mentioned before, in case you are just listening for the first time here now, um, it, you took out the part of the stomach where the ghrelin is and it also has a way of reducing your insulin. So you you naturally are not going to get those cravings as much.
3: That's right. I, well,
1: <laughs> or
0: did you?
3: Uh, yeah. <laughs> If only. In, oh, if, only. <laughs> yeah, if only if only in theory in theory i still i actually still had quite a lot of hunger that okay. never really went away for me but i was full very quickly i i literally could not eat um more than a certain amount and right. so so that side of it was was really good um and the the weight fell off. Uh, I followed all the advice I was given, which is basically a, a, a normal diet, but less of it. So mm. um, they still tell you, you know, you've you've got to eat your carbohydrates, but it, it comes after. That in, in in a way, it's good advice. Eat your protein first, yeah, and then what's left, you you put in carbohydrates. Right. No mention of fat, of course, other than you need to keep it low. Yeah, <laughs> um, of
1: course, crazy. Yeah,
3: so uh, I. I I carried on with that and and you know lost lost weight did really well but I I was still having problems with carbs and the thing with the sleeve is the restriction seems to work really really well with protein and fat but when it comes to carbohydrates certainly when you're after say about a year but certainly after 2 years that restriction really starts to wear off mm. especially when it comes to carbohydrates so mm. I would slip back into um, carbs and even doing exactly as I was told. In fact, the dietician I went to said I should be eating a third of a baguette with every meal. Oh,
2: my gosh.
3: Exactly. How crazy is that to eat a whole baguette a day? I mean, I know we're you in France. You went to a
2: French dietitian though,
3: didn't you? Exactly. <laughs> we're in France.
0: But
3: <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, come on. That's that's crazy advice. That so I, crazy. I basically sort of stopped listening to them but I still thought you know they were healthy carbs and actually this is when um, I, I had an argument with somebody on one of the Facebook pages and people who know me know me I, I do like to get stuck into a debate and I that's how I learn and that's actually how I found low carb um, a person who's now a really good friend of mine Kirsten started telling me about low carb high fat and she said, you know, you should be looking at this. You don't need carbohydrates. Of course you need carbohydrates, I said. You know, I'm not right. talking about all carbohydrates. I'm not talking about the bad ones. I'm talking about the healthy ones. You have to eat these for your brain to function and yeah. et cetera, et cetera. She said, no, you don't. You, you, you don't need carbohydrates at all. Um, but instead of just arguing with me, she said she did exactly what you guys do. She said, look at this website look at that website and look at the science and you'll see that what I'm saying is right. And being naturally really curious, that's that, you know, that's exactly what I did. And I started to realize that what she was saying was, was true and sugar was the problem. And mm-hmm. I looked at um, websites like the diet doctor um, and got into the whole LCHF thing and started to realize, yeah, this, this makes sense. And Wow, all of a sudden, my sleeve is working really well again um and so i and I carried on with that and and did really well with it. but the level of carbohydrates, even though they weren't high, I was still struggling to get rid of the cravings, and I would easily slip into having too many carbs and then ending up going on a bit of a free fall, eating all the really bad carbs um and and yeah. gaining weight again and that right. was the position i found myself in last year i actually i got down to my target weight of 10 zones, 63 kilos back wow. in april i think it was last year and then all of a sudden when i was there everything went out the window a little bit really and i ba- i and i and i started putting on weight again i thought you know i'm here now i can do whatever i like mm. um and started eating too many carbs again, got into the the where it always happens with me, whereas it it's totally tied to emotions and my depression, yeah. and I was getting up in the middle of the night and eating ice cream again, yeah, yeah. all these things and and I went back up to in September I was at seventy eight kilos um, and that's when Kirsten again, thank you, Kirsten, such a good friend, told me about the um Two Keto Dudes Facebook page <laughs> um, and yeah. that's that's when I found you guys and and came on and started asking really silly questions like you know how how can you do this long term I can't I can't right. imagine it it works great to start with you know I've I've been there I've done it it's uh, it's really easy when you're all militant and new and
0: right, but right. when it
3: wears off it's it's so hard and and but Basically, to cut a long story short, that what people were saying made me excited enough um, about keto to, to give it a go. And I did. And what I found was that restricting carbs that bit more actually took those cravings away. Yes. Sir. And I thought, yeah, and I thought this is this is just amazing. Yeah. Um, and, and so you know, as you know, I'm, I'm really behind keto now. I'm still Mm. someone who I do have the odd slip. It, it, it hasn't happened for a while now, but the last time was when I went back to see my family in November and I just fall, fall into that pattern of eating some carbs because I don't want to make a fuss. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to put people out. And, but, but what happens is that I start eating them and the, the immediate impact for me is my brain and my yeah. mood, um, and and it's the depression that comes back. Yeah. And of course, when that comes back, mm-hmm. my instinct is to go back to the old comfort eating habits,
0: sure. and sure. I'll end
3: up in this in this downward spiral. And now um, we have our own but-
1: comfort food. I think one of the things that has kept me on it so much has been my love of cooking and being able yeah. to explore all the different foods that we that we even talked about on this show. Um, I know I can, if I'm, I know I can have chicken parm if I want, I just got to make it with keto breadcrumbs, but you know, I, I've never been deprived this whole journey. And I think people get to that place that you are, that you're at, which is, you know, other people's feelings aren't worth my early death. Yeah. And it comes really, comes down to that
3: yeah and i've I've actually been seeing a counselor online for over a year now, and i you know I know that food and emotions are so tightly linked with me, and mm. we've you know we've we've been working on this over time um and I've really come to the place in fact i I was talking to him about this on um Friday with our last session saying. You know what's weird? Now, the easiest thing for me to do first, when I'm in that downward spiral um, with depression and what what happens with me is that I just, um, I turn in on myself and I become a real hermit. I don't see people, I don't exercise. All I want to do is sleep, be at home with my dogs, eat, uh, you know, whatever. But the, the thing that's really changed is my approach to food now that it's the thing that i find most easy to get back on track with Mm. one because i i know that it's going to have an impact straight away on the way i feel but also because i love keto and just as you were saying carl i i can make myself the delicious things i can make myself alternatives to the kind of foods i used to like yeah um, and I can, I can do the more keto now, but also the food and hunger and it, it doesn't have the same hold that it used to have on me. I can, I mostly just eat one meal a day. Really? I, I just don't feel hungry. I don't, I'm losing that automatic instinctive response to turn to food when Mm. when i feel miserable and i'm starting to i'm starting to you know try different things when i when i last felt really bad and a couple of weeks ago when I, i i had this overwhelming pain like a kind of pain that you have with a headache or something but it was pain i knew it was depression pain and there was nothing i could do there was no tablets I could take. There was no mm. food that actually I wanted to have. I didn't even want to go and eat a load of carbs. And I told myself, what you need to do is is get out there with your dogs, go and have a really long walk. And it's not necessarily going to solve it and take it away, but it's it's really going to help. And it did. So I've started to find ways, different ways of, of of dealing with that big emotional problem, which I've always previously solved with food. And it's absolutely true what I say about the sleeve and keto being perfect partners. They, they go so well together because when you eat keto, not only do you feel better, not only do you have all the benefits that we all know about, but they work so well together because that restriction comes back. So for me, and, and Donna spoke about this, for me the quantity of food, is an issue as well. So when that restriction works again, I can now eat what I suppose I would refer to looking at friends and people who eat, who have a fairly small appetite. So I can eat a reasonable amount, um, but it's nothing like the amount that I used to eat. I just used to eat, eat, eat. I love the fact that now I can hear what my body's telling me. And that really I attribute to keto more than the surgery the surgery was something that would kick in that restriction mm. would kick in as as an automatic response but it's yeah. it's keto that has the, the sleeve took me so far keto has taken me the rest of the way um and it and it's really got me back in touch with how i deal with food and it's got me back in touch with being able to get a handle on my emotions a lot better. And also migraines. I used to suffer really badly from migraines. I mm. would have a migraine every day for two weeks at a time every month. Wow. Um, and I think in the last four months I've had maybe three or four. Um, so that's another fantastic benefit. Everything about keto is great. and that And that really has been what has made this journey complete for me. A number of these things actually i think a lot of the things that relate to me the the migraine the migraines and also depression i think has to do with inflammation and the fact that keto is an anti-inflammatory diet mm. i think that's something that i i don't know the exact science behind it but i think that has that's a major factor in in what helps and it, it certainly does did- for me i i
4: Yeah, I did, I did see, um, some papers on how the, um, that histamine release, of which I thought that's the basis for a lot of migraine, um, obviously the onset, um, the triggers is a histamine release and that the, um, that the keto, um, or the ketones actually mediates a lot of the, um, the basal cells that are responsible for those histamine releases in the, in the various tissues. So um yeah I definitely I think you're on the right track there with the histamines
3: yeah and I think it it, it must be hormonal as well I know that my migraines were um, definitely t- I used to get them for different reasons so I would get some some what I would call just reactionary migraines so if um, if it had been a particularly hot day for example or you know I'd got too much sun or sometimes when I got too cold or the um, the weather the the pressure in the air changes, those kind of things would give me migraines. But the worst ones, the ones that would go on for two weeks were always triggered um, around my period. It was usually just the week after is when they would start and then they would mm. just go mm. on and on. So I'm assuming that because keto helps regulate hormones, that, mm. is, that plays into it as well. So I think I, I think it's probably not just one thing. I think there are all sorts of different things that keto helps with. That mm. have helped with the migraines. They haven't gone completely. I still get them sometimes, but nowhere near as much. And they were so debilitating to have those all the time. And so it's it's miraculous for me to not only have a better handle on my mood, and I've pretty well cut out all my depression meds now. Uh, I still have a very small amount. That's amazing. Um, mm. Yeah, it's it it really is a life changer. The sleeve the sleeve mm. changed my life took me so far but keto really and I and I don't know I've been asked whether if I could have done this differently if I could go back and find keto and fasting before I had the weight loss surgery do I think I could have got where I am today with keto and fasting alone and for me I don't think so um I think that the two have worked really, really well together. I think I needed the sleeve to get me started, but if I hadn't have found keto, I don't think I would be back where I started. But I, I, I certainly um, would have would have put weight back on again because that was the path I started to take. So
2: yeah, it wouldn't have worked. It wouldn't have worked for you as well as as having keto has. But you, you probably wouldn't have had the band though, right?
3: Oh definitely. Had had if, if, oh, again? No. if I could go back and undo that, yeah, I I definitely wouldn't have the band. If ever I hear of someone who's thinking about having the band, I try and encourage mm-hmm. them to not have it. I, I don't think it'll be much longer before surgeons just are not doing it anymore. Like I said, my surgeon um no longer does the band, only only does the sleeve and bypass. Oh. Uh, yep. I'm not sure I'm not sure it
4: exists much in France. My surgeon's the same. Um, a lot of his, um, his follow-up surgeries from people having the bands were going to the sleeves as well. So that's what he was sort of saying in my, um, consultation. But I really wanted to say, um, thank you, Daisy, because I'm glad that you, um, you were sort of making that point about, um, not living your life with regret, because I said exactly the same thing to my mum that, you know, if, you know, the what if question about, um, you know, thinking about should I have had the surgery if I knew about keto or you know vice versa, and really, I came to that point about not wanting to make any sort of regrets you know I live you can't live your life with thinking that if only I knew about keto before the surgery yeah. Yeah. and you right. made you made that post um uh, some time ago about how well it fits together, and I really mm. like that metaphor of a glove, you know how keto yeah. and the sleeve are. They fit so well together. And, you know, at that time of making, coming to that decision about, um, surgery as, as the option that I needed for that time in my life. And now, you know, thinking about what that gave me was obviously, you know, a bit more control and restriction as, as you've put it is fantastic. Yeah. And how well keto fits with that nicely now and it controls my hunger i'm no longer sort of you know having that two-hour eating cycle a joint binge you know as part of that eating disorder and well i've actually finished up with my therapist um only just before christmas as we've moved into that supportive therapy sort of supportive counseling and now i've got the tools you know i've got keto you know i've got my sleeve you know i'm i'm just a, a Chicken poo, really? Yeah, great. yeah,
3: I think I think there's also, um, I, I think there's there's a certain amount of shame associated with it. We've you know we've we've had this thing oh. done to us. Why why couldn't we do yes. it ourselves? Oh and, my
4: gosh! Oh my uh, gosh! And the and stigma. I think, I think that's that's something that yeah, exactly. Donna would yeah. say exactly that. You know, the stigma associated with oh, you cheating. You yeah. had surgery you took the easy way yeah and but that was the other thing was that you know that sort of not disclosing to people wow you've lost so much weight how did you do it well um you know do you go down the path of surgery and Mm. open up that can of worms Mm. and judgment and that I really wanted to take issue with um with Carl's post about taking a drastic option well surgery For me, was a tool. It wasn't a drastic choice. You know, it was a tool. So that language about drastic, yeah. Carl. mm, Well, you know, Mm -hmm. I
1: well, I think that people get to a certain point when they're considering surgery that uh, you know, like your doctor said to you, Donna, and or maybe it was Daisy, that it should be the last resort, right? You know, that that people find that they get to this place where, oh my God, I'm going to have to have surgery you know it seems to the general population is drastic but i understand exactly what you're saying here that uh, for you it was a tool
3: i do totally get actually looking at from an outside perspective we you have to understand that you know we've um got used to talking from a defensive position yeah, I bet. Um, mm. And um, because we hear all the time, oh, you know, you took the easy way out. Well, n- actually, it's not easy at all. <laughs>
2: sure, no, of <laughs> um, course not. Um, but it, Your experience it, is a perfect example. Yeah. Horrible it, experience you had to go through exactly. to get
3: this working. It, it is a drastic measure. Um, I can totally see that from an outside perspective.
1: Heck, people have told me keto was a drastic measure.
3: Yeah, <laughs> you're, you're, you're cutting lumps out of your body, but what w- you have to – and, it, and it's impossible to get into the head of somebody else. But for me, the surgery, it, it didn't seem like a drastic measure at all. It felt like the only way out. It was this lifeline that I was just in this this sea of despair. You know, I'm making it. It's really melodramatic. But it was. It was awful. And all of a sudden... I had this lifeline that maybe was going to change my life. And I don't think if someone had come to me, if I'd have met Carl at that point and he said, I've got this, you know, amazing way of eating, and I I just don't think A, I would have believed it because I tried so many different ways of eating that were all heralded yeah. as a miraculous yeah turnaround, life changer. Um, I don't think I would have believed it. And I don't think I would have given it enough of a chance because I've tried so many things. I I think I would have been one of the people who caved after a couple of weeks. So I, I don't think it would have been a viable option for me at that point. But when I did find it, it felt like the right time for me to find it and really, really use it for, for my benefit. So I think, you know, these, these things sometimes they just happen at the right time and you meet the right people. Like I found the weight loss surgery forums and Kirsten came along and she created this massive pivot in my life towards low carb and then finding the the two keto dudes page and getting involved with you lot and becoming mm-hmm. an admin and getting into research and now you know having having my own facebook page with with all these amazing women and it's, i just can't i can't i if you'd have told me five years ago i'd be where i am now i i wouldn't have believed you so it's it's all fantastic
5: no, I mean I feel that way too. And so remember I'm biased. I I'm actually a therapist, of course, and I work with bariatric patients. The biggest problem with medical interventions for obesity is they discount behavior. Mm. Right. And to be honest, even whether you're on a ketogenic diet or certain no matter what, the most successful people like I look at for example, Richard and Carl, well, you guys have your stuff together. You know what I mean? In all aspects of your life, and you were able to make these lifestyle changes.
1: Right. We were lucky.
5: Well, you're also smart, too. And it, there's an interesting correlation when we look at uh, obesity with socioeconomic status, but also education and the ability to access information. Right. And even a lot of people who get surgery have tried low-carb ketogenic diets, though. And I think so it could be the surgery is certainly helpful, but it could also be a confound where the support you get in the surgical process is what makes it
3: successful. Right. Yeah 100% and and for me starting to see the therapist and really working on that aspect mm. of my life that has also had a huge impact and and I always I always say to people who are losing the weight you've got to work on on that side of it at the same time I've seen so many people who lose a huge amount of weight and they get there and they show their before and after pictures which are amazing but they say I can't see it. I can't see the difference. Mm-hmm. Or they, or they, or they say things like, "That that fat person is gone. I never want to be that person again." And I say, "Look, mm. that fat person, that is the one who got you here today. She is the one who had the courage and the determination against." All the odds, it seems at that point, yeah. to get you started on this journey that's got you here today. She is a really, really important part She's of it. She's a hero. And you, yeah, <laughs> you need to love her and you need to cherish her. And the more you start doing that, the more you will start seeing the changes and appreciating where you are now as well as where you were then. So it, it's you definitely, I totally agree with Donna that working on the mind is so important at the same time. I mean, that's that's one of my biggest criticism with surgery now, because to get surgery in the United
5: States anyway, and to be informed about it, well, it's it's like a full-time job in some ways, especially depending what surgery you're interested in. And, you know, Daisy, you had said before you felt bad in a way that you sort of stumbled into things, but honestly, you made fewer mistakes than a lot of people right. I've seen even, you know, because you're obviously intelligent and well thought, uh, you know, at the things you do, you think out well, rather. Um Mostly on the internet, anyway. Yeah, I but, yeah, uh, <laughs> I certainly but, think about things.
3: Yeah, probably overthink.
5: Well, well, but but think about the average person doesn't know anything about biochemistry, doesn't know anything mm-hmm. about anatomy. And I, like Louise, showed up at the surgeon's. The surgeon must think I'm a freaking crazy lady because I showed up with this binder with 400 pages of studies I yep. printed out, annotated, yep. took notes on, and I had a conversation not at his level because I'm not a surgeon. But the average person is like, okay, that's a good idea. Okay. And a lot of people we don't encourage. Sure. So I'm not saying you should question medical. Well, I guess I am actually. To some degree, you should always question surg- for any surgery. I mean, even if it's for cancer, you need to say, okay, what's the appropriate treatment? Let me get a second opinion just to see.
1: That's right. Verification. You know, that's all it is. No, it's making absolutely. sure the information is accurate.
5: And the biggest problem we have with the medical and complex in the United States is we don't integrate that, you know, the questioning and the pursuit of knowledge for the sake of the self. But we also ignore the behavioral side of things. And that's, I think, why a lot of people fail on regardless of what diet they pick. I hate the word diet, but what way of eating they pick, what surgery they pick. A lot of people don't succeed because we don't
3: build in psychological support. So again, I'm biased. I am a therapist.
4: I, I think it's totally true. I support that opinion hundred percent that was an interesting um, question to my surgeon was about dietary sort of follow-up and he was absolutely um, not supportive of dietitians at all he said yeah he was not very really? complimentary of them all exactly so he just basically handed me a um, a little like a side plate um, I don't know if so it was some sort of product placement or or something that he was <laughs> given from a sales rep um, he did yeah, he, which sort of basically was, this is, this is the size of portions that you need to eat. This is, that's all you need to do. You can have your cake and eat it too, just less of it. So that's basically yeah. what, what he said to me. That was my dietary, um, nutrition follow up. I did actually go see a dietitian, a, another bariatric, um, dietitian, and, um, I'm not sure if he was sponsored by, um, Donna, you'll get this, um, the bariatric, um, supplements, um, people. So he put me on oh, to Jesus. those <laughs> chewable, yeah, the, the chewable tablets, um, multivitamins for, um, bariatric, um, patients as well. Yeah. So I'm still taking them. They're, they're okay. So I'm, So, yeah, that was really my
5: follow-up. Louise, you can digest the capsules now. You actually don't need to uh, take those. but Like you can take regular multivitamins.
4: Yeah, and I think that was just really looking at a multivitamin. I think that was part of because um, I don't know if you ladies also had it as well, but, um, you know, that 3 months post-surgery, all my hair sort of – or not all my hair, I have a lot of hair, but my my hair fell out. That was absolutely freaky. You know, and the other point was about um, my gallbladder. Um, I ended up with um, an acute gallbladder attack, and I know Daisy. We had some Facebook communication as to why this was happening, and um, we were reading the the articles together about the um, increase in fat circulation and how That's that right. could have yeah. caused obviously some gravel to to form certainly in my gallbladder which is obviously still an ongoing issue for me to manage, um, which I'll be following up as well. So,
5: Hilariously, even though I have lost over 450 pounds, I'm the one fat person who's never had a gallbladder
0: issue. Wow. Wow! <laughs> <laughs> Indeed.
2: Right. I,
3: yeah, I mean, and I haven't, I've, I've been fine without mine. Um, I really haven't had any, I haven't had any noticeable problems. What I think might, a problem that is associated with it is my um, vitamin A deficiency Um, and I think I think it's important I think it's important to say that any person who has weight loss surgery they need to be very vigilant about having blood tests and keeping an eye on potential deficiencies because I just happened yeah. to have a blood test for vitamin A and discovered that I was um, really deficient and i wouldn't i wouldn't have known I had no symptoms um, and they gave me very um high dose but suspended in oil and this is where I think it might have a link to the gallbladder um that anything that 's fat soluble it 's the fat soluble vitamins that I have an issue with mm. and I ingested it orally, they also injected it and I and I carried on getting deficient. And it was only when again Kirsten, thank you, told me to take dry form vitamin A and so I self medicated um, and got I've now got my levels back within norms and but that that's the other thing that I was just gonna say about support. I mm. had I was given no no support no contacts Mm. this whole support Mm -hmm. this whole support network that i have and that i've i i created that myself i built yeah i I found yeah i found those people online and i've and i built it myself so i i really i wonder what's happening to all these people who have been let go and who haven't had the wherewithal or whatever reasons perhaps don't have good internet access who haven't Access these support groups. What's happening to them? <laughs>
0: mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: That worries me.
1: <laughs> and that's why we're building out a group uh, online at uh, ketogenicforums.com, yeah. dot com, right, Richard?
2: Yeah, absolutely. The, I think the positive thing about all of this is that you're all uh, you're all working, helping other people now as admins in our group, and and uh, uh, taking basically taking a positive approach to. Uh, uh to uh helping other people. And the best way I find to learn something is to teach somebody else it.
0: Exactly. And so
2: um you know that that's that's a real positive one of the call-outs call we made when we basically got rid of the Facebook group and, and started up the ketogenic forums was to tell people to start up their own Facebook groups um, and to start up their own local organisations and start working with people who are just starting out in this process. Yeah. And that's one of the things that Daisy did. She started a Facebook group of her own, yeah. um, of swear, sweary women. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think it, the it's, official title or something. It,
3: well, it's funny. It's Yeah, it's actually called... Uh, <laughs> kick-ass keto bitches we're we're fierce right. and it but the, the interesting thing is that that started out really just as a bit of fun the thing that i suddenly realized i was going to miss from facebook was the the banter the banter that, yeah. that's how it started however what has been really touching is that it's working on all these different levels so you'll get this this jokey meme and and all these uh you know this this funny stuff and then you'll get this deep and meaningful long thread about there was a really interesting thread on depression Mm. lots of women's issues all sorts of things we're basically just this this group of women who are bound by keto and being women Mm. and we Mm. talk about anything we like and this this group has just taken on a life of its own and we we Great. That's wonderful, and it and yeah. it's that's wonderful. exactly what we
2: wanted. Yeah, that's exactly what we wanted yeah. when exactly. we got rid of our own Facebook group. There's right. like thirteen thousand people there. Um, that was the the impetus we hoped for lots of uh, Facebook groups to form because yeah. if we kept our group around. Those other new groups, kick ass bitches, wouldn't have formed. Yeah. That's right. and it's so it's
3: Possibly. so much better, I think, to have hundreds and thousands of small groups.
0: Absolutely,
2: with this, yes. what,
3: than than these few groups who you know ha, get into this weird pattern of dictatorship and oh, saying terrible, this is this is you know have all these rules and you know we have no, the 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 rules the pin post on mine is is uh, you know we we have no rules and it's but <laughs> what I think is fantastic. fantastic Fantastic, all these little groups that we now, of course, have this incredible hub Mm. at the center Mm. of the ketogenic forums, which we constantly direct people back. So, although we'll get questions coming on saying, Oh, what is keto? What is it all about? Now, I'm not going to repeat the same thing over and over again. I say, You know what? There's this amazing resource called the ketogenic forums i'll look up their what they're searching for and i'll give them a link this is where you need to go this is Mm, you know this is for the banter (laughs) this is for talking about you know the things that girls want to talk about with no men around this is you can talk Mm -hmm. about anything you like but um, and and mostly of course it's keto related but sure. i have this incredible library i can send people to where there's all this information stored all these people they can connect with it's it's not just the case of connecting with a great article but you go and you read that article and then you get to talk with all the deciding. different people right.
0: yeah. it's
3: yeah. it's incredible and it's I think really great. yeah we've just we've just we've just Ended up with this incredible resource, and
1: even though this resource is fairly new, we now have about four thousand, over four thousand members, and it really got a boost after we shut down our Facebook group. Active, uh, they're they're
3: churning out this amazing content. We're creating this huge
1: knowledge base of of information that's that's fact-checked and and really done well. Um, Ladies, we could go on and on and on, but it's been two hours, and if (laughs) if we're going to end this show, we're going to have to come up with some
5: recipes. 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 Recipes!
1: Well, I feel like a
5: jerk being zero carb now, but
1: okay. (laughs) (laughs) No problem. Hey, Richard, you go first.
2: Well, I've got a simple one today. Um, I, uh, in fact, this is Julie's recipe. She had it for dinner tonight. Um, and, uh, what it is, is keto coleslaw. Ooh. And you can make it with any type of cabbage. And normally coleslaw is cabbage and carrot and mayonnaise.
1: And, and sugar they put a lot of sugar in it maybe vinegar
2: well yeah off, often uh, yeah vinegar and uh, vinegar and sugar combination so skip the vinegar and the sugar um so what we're going to do is we're going to have mayonnaise we're going to have cabbage now carrot is quite it has quite a lot of sugar in it Sure. so instead of carrot what i'm going to use is bell peppers or in australia we call them capsicum yeah and um the ratio is a about two thirds cabbage to one third capsicum, but you can uh, you can use red cabbage. Today we had red cabbage and red capsicum together. Nice. You could have red cabbage and green capsicum. You could have uh, a savoy, like a white cabbage and uh, red capsicum, or you could have. Buck choy or, um, or, or wambuk, a Chinese cabbage. Mm. Um, so there's lots of options, but basically what we do is we, we make up a bowl dry of the capsicum and the, and the coles and the, the cabbage. And then that just sits in the fridge and we have a separate container with the mayonnaise and then you make it up on the plate, uh, as you go. So that bowl is going to sit in our fridge for probably the whole week and we're going to be having, uh, keto coleslaw with just about every meal that we eat.
1: That's awesome. So that's my recipe. That's great and one. so simple too.
2: So 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 what have you got for us Carl? All
1: right, Richard, I'm going to blow through this because we're going to put it up on the blog and you can refer to it mm-hmm. there. But um we had these amazing buffalo chicken meatballs. I say we, I didn't, but my daughter's had at uh, Daddy Jack's, which is a great restaurant down here in town. My band plays there. Um He's uh, he's got great keto food already. Mm. Uh, just but this wasn't one of them, and I wanted to take the recipe and swap out the uh, in the meatballs, the buffalo chicken meatballs. I wanted to swap out the breadcrumbs for keto crumbs. And here's the idea: you can take any meatball recipe mm-hmm. and just swap out the breadcrumbs for keto crumbs, and they can either be a combination of crushed pork rinds and grated cheese like romano or parmesan cheese or just the pork rinds yeah so here's mine it's a miniature buffalo chicken meatballs you know the kind of meatballs that you get at parties the little appetizer size yeah
2: little hors d'oeuvres
1: little hors d'oeuvres exactly so uh two tablespoons of olive oil four tablespoons or half a stick of unsalted butter third of a cup of frank's red hot tabasco or other hot sauce quarter of a cup of heavy cream two ounces of crumbled blue cheese um, a pound of ground chicken thigh meat. You can use whatever you want, but of course, we're talking chicken here. Yeah. An egg, half a celery stock, finely chopped, three quarters of a cup of pulverized pork rinds. I'm gonna add a quarter cup of grated Parmesan, half a teaspoon of onion powder, teaspoon of salt, half a teaspoon of crushed black pepper. Mm. All right. So you preheat the oven to 450 and you coat a nine by 13 inch baking dish with olive oil and set it aside. Combine the ground chicken, the egg, the celery, the pork rind dust, the Parmesan, the onion powder, salt, and pepper in a large mixing bowl and mix by hand until thoroughly incorporated. That's the fun part. Yeah. And then you roll the mixture <laughs> into round three quarters of an inch uh, wide balls. If you want to make them a little bigger, that's fine. But right. you got to make sure to pack the meat firmly and place them in this baking dish next to each other so that they touch. Mm. And that ensures they'll be soft and moist. It's a chef trick, and you know this, Richard, that if you're want, if you frying something in a pan or it's in the oven and you have more than one item, if you want them to be crispy, you separate them. You give them space.
2: Yep. Let the air between them, yeah.
1: Yeah, and if you don't want them crispy, if you want them to be more tender, you crowd them out. You crowd them together. So um, while the meatballs are roasting, you combine the butter, the blue cheese, the cream, the hot sauce, and a small saucepan. Cook that over low heat whisking until the butter and cheese are melted and fully uh, incorporated. And then you roast the meatballs for about 15, 20 minutes or until firm. Uh, and if you really want them perfect, roast them until the meat thermometer in the middle of the meatball registers 165 Fahrenheit. And then you simply toss the meatballs in the sauce and you serve mm. and enjoy.
2: It. I love thigh meat. Mm. Doesn't that sound good? Buffalo chicken wow.
1: <laughs> Yeah. Ladies, thank you so much for for joining us. Louise, thank you.
4: Thank you so much, Richard and Carl.
1: Donna, thank you.
5: Oh, and thank you guys for all your hard work. We really appreciate it very much.
1: And Daisy, Mm, of course. Thank you so much, Daisy.
3: Thank you. I've loved it. It's been fantastic.
1: We are going to continue this conversation at www.ketogenicforums.com. Um, we have a category called, uh, the two keto dudes podcast, which is under resources. Yeah. And I always publish the new show there. And we actually had a couple stories that were emailed into us, Deborah and Frank and guys, I'm sorry we didn't get to you, but I'm urging you to post your stories as well here in this topic. And we will provide a link to that on the show notes. So there you go, Richard. That's a
2: show. Yeah, awesome show. It was a long one, but uh, with three guests, with three awesome stories, um, I think it's worthwhile going a little bit long every now and then. And the other good thing is this is our 52nd show, so that's wow. a year. That's a year. Happy so birthday.
5: Yeah, happy birthday. <laughs> happy anniversary. <laughs> yeah. Happy first birthday to
2: you and Carl. Uh, You're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> goo goo ga ga. Thank you. Thank you.
1: We're just getting started. <laughs>
2: We are just getting started. We've got a whole lot more that we have yeah. planned for this uh, this little adventure of ours. Of course, if you have anything that you want to tell us, something we said wrong, something you don't agree with, or some more research that you found to support or refute anything that we've said, send it by email to dudes at 2 dudes.com or Post it on our website or on the Ketogenic Forums.
1: Absolutely. And you can follow us on Twitter at 2 Dudes, on Instagram mm-hmm. at 2 Keto Dudes, And, of course, if you want to join our forum, it's www.ketogenicforums.com or forum.2keto.com. And if useless swag is your fancy, you know, T-shirts, oh, yeah. coffee <laughs> mugs, and other junk with keto sayings on them, head over to gear.2keto.com.
2: And if you feel like supporting our podcast and our forums, hit the donate button on our website at www2 or you can just go to donate2
1: Absolutely. Okay, Richard, keep calm and keto on. Keep calm and keto on, Carl. Keep calm and keto on, ladies. Keep
3: Keep calm calm, and keto on. on.
1: (laughs) All right, we'll see you next time on On 2 Keto Keto Dudes.